this is maybe one of the things we also talked about throughout the season. I think so long as you're bringing everybody along on the the product team broadly, the designers, the engineers, everybody, on the ultimate goal of what the customer needs. Not everybody's going to envision the exact same thing, but if you're all trying to solve the same problem, if you all understand the pain point, I think that's better than most of the team doesn't know the actual pain point. Most of the team doesn't know what the customer wants. Most of the team only knows like what's written in the functional spec, and they're just trying to build that. One of the points Kai made was like, look, you know, connecting the insights in a relatable way, like letting people who are, you know, downstream from that original collection of that moment with a prospective customer to see a real user talk about what their needs are or what the problem is. I think that helps everybody stay aligned on the solve more than just the spec. And I think that sort of opens up the opportunity for creativity as well. So maybe that's, that's one of the learnings that sort of ran through that set of conversations as well. Welcome to the Human Insight Podcast, where we share with you the business stories, ideas, and trends shaping the future of customer experience, told firsthand by the experts themselves in thought-provoking conversations. Hi, everyone. I'm Janelle Estes, Chief Insights Officer at User Testing. And I'm Annie McMillan, CEO at User Testing. And today we're recapping our sixth season of the Human Insight Podcast. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy to think about. Um, you know, thanks to our our you know amazing guests and our listeners that we have now published sixty episodes of the Human Insight podcast, and we've had nearly twenty thousand downloads from around the world. That's pretty awesome, if I do say so myself. Um, speaking of the world, are you following the World Cup, Andy? I am. I'm into it. Uh, my kids are into it. Um, I actually was lucky enough a long, long time ago when I was an undergrad, I was uh, did a little study abroad program and I was in Paris, France in 1998 when France hosted the World Cup at home and won the World Cup at home. So I was actually uh, on the Champs-Élysées that night with, uh, I think, about six million other people celebrating and I've pretty much been a World Cup fan ever since. But uh, yeah, we've, we've been watching and, and, and sort of enjoying the games. Oh my gosh, what an incredible uh, memory to be able to look back on. That must have been pretty amazing. Yeah, it was it was neat, and uh, we go try to catch uh, soccer matches from time to time. Anyways, we've seen a couple of the uh, teams here. We've seen a couple games in Europe. Me and my kids. Um, it's it's really fun. So it's been it's been great to watch, and people are so into it. I mean, I think that's part of what's so fun about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's funny. So I I have to admit that I haven't been following the World Cup, and I was really puzzled uh, when the USA was playing a couple of weeks ago, and they ended the game zero to zero. Like I don't understand how that actually happens and how a game ends that way. But um, that probably helps you understand my level of uh, knowledge of sports. So uh, anyway, uh, for our insight segment, we actually asked uh, folks on our contributor network, um, you know, who they're cheering for, for the World Cup, who they thought would be in the final, which was yesterday, and what, if any, uh, good luck routines they employed to help their teams. And let's hear what they had to say. I think the final match will be um, Brazil uh, versus, I think um, it might be France. Personally, I think France or Brazil will have a higher chance. They have a strong team. Um, so that's why. I think France and Brazil will make it in the final match. England has kind of been up in the air, so I think the final will maybe be Brazil and France. But for me, I think that Brazil, Argentina, and Spain are the the strongest for me. 
I really believe that. Why is the World Cup so popular? I think it's just a great way to gather people where we all gather to watch the games. And it is a fun uh, activity to do in group. World Cup is popular because, first of all, soccer or football is universally recognized. They play it in every single continent. Um, and I think the element of competition and nationality um, really allows people to unify. So people who would never really talk might be cheering for the same team because they're from the same country. And then they're going to, you know, be hanging out, watching the game together and end up making friends. And it's just sort of an excuse to be really proud about your country and where you're from and cheer them on along with other people who feel the same way. Different nationalities, different people, different colors um, of people run on the field, forgetting about religion, race, and everything, and just have fun. As I mentioned, U.S. and France, and uh, I have a jersey of both. So the game day rituals, I like to wear the jersey of the team that's playing. But I have a few rituals. I like to go to the supermarket and buy a lot of snacks to eat while I'm watching the game because I get really nervous and I need to munch something to straighten my head and be focused. Good luck charms. Not really. I tend to sit in the same seat when I'm watching my team play on the television uh, and hopefully that brings them luck. Well, that was fun. It's it's neat to hear uh, how excited people get and the enthusiasm they have for their teams, uh, the good luck habits we all have as we as we root for teams. Uh, sort of reminds me a bit of baseball. You know, there's sort of that baseball rally cap routine, but uh, people are really really into it. So uh, fun fun to see. And uh, uh, we're recording this before we know who wins, uh, and it'll come out just after it's known. So we're in that weird podcast vacuum of uh, everybody knows the answer, but we don't. Uh, so it'll be fun to see uh, who ends up winning the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I can definitely, uh, you know, comment on this idea of people being really uh, dedicated to certain teams. Uh, being in the Boston area, we've certainly got our fair share of big Boston sports fans. So uh, it's it's fun to see the enthusiasm. And I think in one of our previous episodes, we actually asked uh, contributors about uh, the Warriors and uh, why they felt people were so um, either really uh, ecstatic or, or big supporters of the Warriors or why they didn't like them. And that was an interesting uh, conundrum to unpack as well. Yeah, it's always fun to see people who root for the the, the, the powerhouse teams, and then there's the people that root for the underdogs, which is uh, is always entertaining to see how people approach that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if you want to check it out, it was episode 50 with Andrew Hogan uh, from Figma. So, um, you know, in addition to all things sports, uh, we also had some really awesome guests in season six. So I would love to unpack some of the episodes with you, Andy. Um, and we've sort of broken down the season into a handful of kind of core themes. And I think one of the themes that really stood out to us in the season was this notion of designing for moments and designing for specific emotional kind of reactions within moments. So one of the episodes that we had uh, was episode 46 with Patrick Quattlebaum, who is the author of Orchestrating Experiences, Collaborative Design for Complexity. And we talked a lot about how we uh, can focus on what a, you know, creating an optimal moment for a customer. Uh, 
And he said some really interesting things uh, about moments. And and he, he, he mentioned something about, you know, what he's been fascinated by is this concept of a moment and how it can be a very intentional element that's built into the experience that a team builds. And hadn't actually thought about experiences that way. Um, I always think about experiences as these sort of fluid things that evolve and move and change through time. But this idea of having an exact moment uh, that's very meaningful uh, was really compelling to me. And I'm trying to think back even of my own personal experiences. Like, can you think of a moment of an experience, Andy, that like stands out to you that, uh, you know, maybe kind of demonstrates what Patrick was talking about? I, I definitely think so. And I, I think you have, you know, good and bad ones. Uh, and I, I just add, I really liked in that episode, the, the, um, focus he had on sort of language as well, like how you sort of build this language amongst your team of these things. Um, you know, I, I shared a few before, even on this podcast, but you know, I had one moment with a cell carrier where I went in to get, uh, a, a basically move off their plan and ended up in a sort of, uh, back and forth discussion with the person at their store about how I do actually, according to them, have good cell service at my house. And it was sort of a fascinating moment where it's like, I, I live there. I'm pretty sure I don't. Uh, so that was pretty, pretty interesting. Um, I'd also say you, you see it when things don't go well, I think is that moment. Um, you know, I can think of, uh, a few times I was trying to get home, uh, for my father's, uh, 50th birthday party, uh, years ago. And I was on a flight back from Brazil and we had some, you know, as, as happens with flights, things went awry. And I remember just one agent at one gate at Dallas Fort, at Dallas Fort Worth to basically decide like it was her mission. I was going to get home on time. Aww. And she was like running around from agent to agent and talking to people and she figured it all out. Um, and I just thought that was amazing. And so I think there are those moments, uh, when you really need help and an app can do that, right? It can just be when you're in an app and just the right thing comes together. Uh, I definitely think it's the case. Yeah, absolutely. I remember uh, a couple of years ago, we were actually working with a big retailer to understand um, emotion within the experience. And in this case, it was uh, home improvement. So you can imagine the the hills and valleys of purchasing a new home or renovating a home or, you know, updating a room and or whatever it might be. And um, as part of that research, we actually asked people at the beginning of the studies to recall a really great moment that they had and a really bad moment that they had or experience that they had with a company. And what I found fascinating about that, and it kind of actually relates to your examples, Andy, is that every single person, when they talked about a great experience, it was because they had talked to or dealt with a human. Uh, to help resolve right. it. And so something about that really stood out to me. Uh, and I think, you know, sometimes when we think about all the ways that we can scale and, and build our businesses to be more efficient, um, having the ability to actually connect with a human on the other side is something that companies, I think, obviously should continue to prioritize. I think there's one airline I was reading about recently that actually just did away with customer support, like live agents. And there's all this chatter about why that's good or bad, um, but I, yeah, I thought I thought that was pretty profound. You, were, you know, asking 20 people and the similarity between them all was that they were able to talk to somebody. Yeah, I mean, it was sort of, um, you know, we think about another episode. Episode 52 uh, was your fireside chat with with Brian Zolis, and I think one of the things that you know he was talking about in that conversation was this idea of sort of moving away from sort of journey maps and into sort of storyboarding. And I think the moments concept sort of fits into that. Or your point of like, is there a point in time when somebody just needs to talk to somebody to get something resolved? I think this idea of companies sort of taking a, at least a half step back 
and really thinking through, you know, if I put myself in the shoes of a customer, do I really like want to go on a journey or do I just sort of have needs and wants and problems that I need resolved? And I thought that was uh, really interesting how he thought about bringing empathy into that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. It's actually really interesting to think about that concept of these companies that are building these journey maps, right? Of of all the people that, you know, go through coming on board or making a purchase or or reaching out to support. And I like to your point, I don't think of myself as a customer living within some company's journey map. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and I'm sure you've had experiences like I have where you don't want to be in the journey and the the bot or the agent or the the system process is like, no, 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 your next step is to do this. And you're like, but I don't want to, I don't want to do that right now. Right. I want to do this other thing. And it's sort of like the machine kind of breaks. Um, so I really thought that was thoughtful. And, and he sort of had like a bit of an undercover boss theme to that too of like, you know, you have to really go in and sort of do the work, both as, you know, think about what it's like to be an employer, think about what it's like to be a user. And what are you really looking for? And I think that's, um, I think that's thoughtful. And I think it's missing from a lot of experiences right now, to your point. Like, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be on the journey. I just want the thing I need done. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think, you know, another theme that kind of came up this season was around, um, design as a, a driver of business and, and, uh, you know, uh, positive outcomes for a company. Um, so this episode was with Andrew Hogan from Figma. Um, he was a, a former Forrester analyst, um, but joined Figma, I think, a little over a year ago to really do a lot of, um, you know, industry analysis and uh, analysis of uh, the design as a field, as a practice, and even the people within that um, as well as how design fits into a business. Well, I think that was I, I, that's a good connection because I think it is what Andrew was really speaking to is this idea of you know design is a whole lot bigger than one functional thing you're putting together, but really you know thinking through what's it mean to be a customer, what's it mean to deliver a service, um, and I do think we're starting to see teams really approach that differently. I mean, we've noticed it even in our customer base, people coming to us really trying to sort of redesign their service or app delivery for their customers. Uh, and I think that's, I think that's the right approach. I think, you know, a lot has changed in the world in the last couple of years. And I think any company that's not taken a half, you know, half a moment to say, you know, would we do this the same way now? Like, should we rethink how we do that? And, and to bring design principles to that, to really think about uh, how to do that, I think is really important. Yeah, absolutely. For a long time, the only option for design was being a UI designer. But now there's so much more career progression and depth to the role in the practice. Yeah, I wonder if one of the things we'll see uh, over time is designers getting even just outside of the design field, even as we think about it broadly. I mean, we, we did this for a while with um, a couple of years ago. The big talk was about how CMOs were starting to be used in many more places outside of marketing. You know, CMOs were taking CEO jobs. They were taking heads of sales jobs. They were taking e-commerce roles. And it was sort of, you know... The realization, I think, a few years ago that the the sort of amplification of voice, you know, think of like the social scaling of companies was so important that CMOs were going to be what companies needed to sort of really lead them. I wonder if we'll get to a point where it's the design thinkers as companies reinvent business models and, you know, if the economy continues to be sort of this uh, ebbing and flowing and, and a lot of uncertainty, maybe, maybe designers are the kind of people we're going to be putting into roles to think about you know, the business overall, not just the design of the business, but like design thinking for how you run the business. And maybe 
maybe that'll be even further upstream for those designers. Yeah, it's a great it's a great sort of analogy and and, and way to think about the future. Um, another theme that came up uh, this season was around um, building products or experiences for the greater good. So we had uh, Amanda Renteria, who's the CEO of Code for America. We had Wesley Faulkner, who runs a community at AWS. And we had uh, Radhika Dutt, who is the author of Radical Product Thinking, where a lot of the stuff, for example, in her, in her book, she talks about how uh, iterative design uh, is, or iterative product design can potentially be a not so great thing um, because uh, the approach of just putting something out there and seeing if it works ultimately takes no responsibility for the outcomes that we're creating for society. And I thought that was a really interesting point that she made. And it made me think about when is it okay to get something out into the world and just iterate? And when do we need to take a step back and sort of you know consider, is this the right thing uh, to put out into the world? Any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I agree. I, I think it's a really important thing. Um, and it's important when we think about the impact of our products beyond the buyer of our product. You know, I think that's another thing that is a, as a tech industry, we're starting to grapple more with is this idea that it's not, you know, I build something, I sell it to somebody and then sort of my work here is done. It's like my product now has impact on a broader audience of people. So I thought all three of those conversations were really insightful, um, sort of thinking through, uh, the impact that technology can have, uh, how the scope of who we're building for can impact ultimately what the product does and, and how do we make sure that we're bringing more folks along in this journey to sort of a more tech-enabled and product-enabled world. Um, I thought the conversation with Code for America was super interesting when we think about some of the um, biggest opportunities in um, – state and local and even federal government is to help the most underserved folks who maybe interact with the government the most often in a variety of ways, uh, but maybe have different access to those services. And so really thinking through, you know, technology sort of plays this interesting role where there could be a barrier for access to technology itself, but it could also be that if we use technology the right way, we could reduce a bunch of barriers for people to actually interact with the government services that they need. And I just thought that was really fascinating and, and very um, thoughtful. So I really felt like that whole theme this season was was really interesting to me of just, you know, sort of tech for good uh, and thinking broadly about good, good for whom, like, you know, who does this impact? And uh, I like the idea that, um, you know, research and customer empathy and design thinking, that this is becoming part of the lexicon, that this is becoming something. And, and it's not just these episodes. This is conversations that you know, I've been having with customers, Janelle, I know you've been having these conversations with customers, you know, how do we make sure we're addressing um, accessibility? How do we make sure that we're reaching wide audience? How do we know that we're not, we don't have blind spots and who we're designing for? Um, that's impactful. And I think that's very different than even just a couple of years ago. So uh, I really liked that theme this, this season. I thought that was, was powerful. Yeah, I completely agree. The notion of a, a human-centered government, like who would have thought that that was the way that we were going to approach that world even just five years ago or 10 years ago. Um, so I think this, the work that Amanda and her team are doing is is so amazing. And then, of course, you know, Wesley's episode where he was sort of talking about the value of a community and how you measure success of a community being maybe not so much about engagement, which is how we think about a community uh, and the success of that. But uh, in in kind of take looking at it a little more broadly, where you're kind of um, measuring the success of the people who are in the community versus how much they engage with the community. And I thought that was a nice way to think about that as well. 
Yeah, and I liked how we talked about even um, how do you view yourself in a community and, and what does it mean, you know, sort of the like an introspective view. He really talked a lot about the inclusivity aspect of communities, which I thought was very interesting, too. I mean, it really just um, – that was a great episode. I mean, he really had a lot of really good ideas on how folks can think about not only building com- community but creating welcoming communities and then sort of validating that you're doing those things the right way. Um, you know, I, I thought that was thought that was a great episode. Yeah, I I completely agree. And his perspective was so valuable. Um, uh, uh, You know, one of the, the, I guess the last theme of the season, and probably where most of the episodes fell, uh, was, uh, or fell into was uh, this idea of building and launching products with customer feedback. And so many of the episodes that we had were fairly, um, I don't want to use the word tactical, but it, 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 they're very sort of action oriented. Like you could listen and actually take something away from it and apply it to your work. So the set of, um, uh, episodes that we had, uh, we had Julia Austin, who's a product leader, uh, and she is, um, also a lecturer at Harvard, uh, business school. And she was talking about, uh, how, how to talk to your customers and fold that into the product development process and the product launch process. We had Kai Vandaloo from user testing talking about how to integrate customer feedback into a product team's workflows. Um, once a product is live, we had Karthik uh, Suresh, who's a co-founder of Ignition, a product go-to-market tool, talking about the process for a successful product launch. And then we also had um, Pulkit Agrawal, who talked about uh, the onboarding experience and how to make sure that that's optimized and that you're continually pulling customer feedback into that process and that experience. Um, and then finally, we had uh, Kaus Manjita, who is a co-founder of Mason, talking about how to help uh, SMB uh, companies close what she called the customer intimacy gap. So tons of episodes related to really practical advice and 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 shared knowledge and expertise around you know being customer centric and everything you do related to product yeah I, I think the grouping is right but it was also um, interesting the different perspectives they brought I thought um, you know our, our very own Kai Vandaloo uh, talked about kind of broadly how do you make this part of how you build stuff you know how does it fit into the workflow that we use and and, and he'd use that we very broadly that's everybody that's product management and design and research and engineering and QE like how is how is empathy and human insight part of that process at scale uh, I thought it was interesting that we had folks that talked about the roles themselves you know how do you be a product manager that's connected to customers and, and asking questions and what does that really mean and how do you build that awareness um, and then I thought it was interesting the conversations we had about, um, I think often a lot of our customers and our users think about the design phase and sort of the pre-launch phase of getting that kind of feedback, which I think is extremely important. I mean, it's a lot easier to figure out how to build the right thing when you're, say, designing it in Figma and making sure it hits the mark and your customers are aligned before you have your engineering team go build it than to just then to discover later, we didn't exactly build it right, and you're sort of learning at that point. Uh, but there were some really good and practical, to your point, Janelle, uh, episodes that that talked about how do you measure that success once you've launched, and how do you then iterate on those things and make sure you have a feedback loop. And so um, I thought those episodes collectively did a really good job of both setting out like an ambitious blueprint for what you could do at scale, 
um, giving practical advice to people in those roles and then sort of having a pragmatic approach. Like at the end of all of this, like how do you, how do you rinse and repeat and make sure you're being successful? And so, um, I thought all of those, uh, guests and speakers had really insightful ways to think about different parts of the problem. Yeah, I completely agree. And I guess to tie some of your points to, I guess one episode that doesn't quite fit into a theme here. Um, so we had one of our last episodes of the season was about the Center for Human Insight, which is a uh, website and resource that we recently launched um, for folks to understand the value of human insight, for them to understand how to implement it uh, into their work, how to bring other people along, and really a place to go to really um, immerse yourself in this idea of building customer empathy uh, and doing that at scale uh, across an organization. And I have to say, um, as part of the project or part of the uh, of the team that launched the website, uh, your whole point around getting feedback early before a launch is, you know, certainly important, right? But at a certain point, you sort of just have to go live, right? And I, I think I told you, um, we launched the center the day of our customer summit in New Orleans. And the night before, I'm scrolling through the, the the staged website, and I'm looking at this thing, and I'm going, as a UX person, I'm like, okay, the the bullets aren't formatting correctly. I probably wouldn't <laughs> use that font face. Like, the the way that the, uh, the content is laid out on the page isn't the most scannable way. Like, me knowing all the theories of readability and grouping of content, and just sort of like, get out of my own head and say, hey, we had a launch date of tomorrow, and we're just going to have to launch this. And now we're just learning on how to sort of optimize and iterate on it. So as part of our episode of the Center for Human Insight, we actually had a bunch of contributors who sort of fit into our target audience for the site, look at it and comment on it. And you know what they said? They said, we love the content. It's so good. We don't love the design. And it was really interesting for us to hear that one, because, well, for me, it was sort of like, I told you so, like, I knew that was going to be an issue, <laughs> but at the same time, that's not the, that wasn't what it, that was not what was a priority for us and still isn't a priority for us. We're not creating a, uh, our goal is not to create the most beautiful website in the world. The goal is to create meaningful content and information that will help people be successful. And so um, I guess a, 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 a bit of rambling there just to kind of bring home the points that you were making, but also knowing that, you know, we're putting a lot of this stuff to practice and the stuff that we do every day as well. Yeah, I, I love the story and the sort of like just push the go button and launch it. Like at some point, you're right, you do have to jump. My uh, my story of, of uh, joining user testing, one of the things I share is that the first launch meeting I ever went to, we had been working on something in the product for quite a while, and it was a much, much, much better experience, the thing we were about to ship, than the thing that was currently in the product. And I'm in the launch meeting, and we're, we're like ready to go. We're going around the room. At the very end, somebody says, maybe we should user test it one more time. And I watch everybody in the room kind of give that a thumbs up. And I'm like, wait, wait, hold on, time out. Why, why are we not launching? <laughs> and uh, someone leaned over to me and said, one of the challenges of being at user testing is you can always user test it one more time. And I'm like, I guess that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and so I basically said, do we really think this isn't going to work? And everybody went like, no, it's great. And I'm like, okay, let's launch it. Like, we're ready to go. You know, we'll get feedback when it's live. Uh, and it was really a, a very, very successful launch. But I do think you can sort of get to that, like, 
yeah, you, you want to get as much of that knowledge up front and you do want to design the right solution, but ultimately you do have to ship stuff. And so again, I think there was some, uh, uh, some good ideas throughout those episodes of like how to also get product out the door. Yeah. And I am really proud of the human insight center. I, I think, uh, to your point, the content's great. So, um, the design can catch up at some point. Yeah, there's some for good sure. Stuff in there. I do have to say it was a very, uh, it was a really interesting experience because I actually have really never been in that position of saying, I mean, I sh- sure I have on other things like, you know, launching, you know, new services or, you know, th- other things I've done in my career, but nothing that's a digital property that I sort of just say, yes, like it was very, um, like I was annoyed with myself with all of my like UX concerns. Right. And I was putting myself in the, um, in the shoes of a product manager. Right. And like ha- managing, you know, the, the stakeholders internally that are saying, but, 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 but we could do this before we do it. And ultimately saying, you know, what's good enough. We'll figure it out uh, and we'll iterate. And the product manager has that same perception, right? I mean, you, you, you've been dreaming of this thing for however long we've been iterating and building on talking to customers and, it's never exactly what you think it, you know, it's like you sort of, you know, there's all those old comics of like what they thought they were building, what you think they're building, like, and they're, they're based on a real reality, right? Yeah. But you say, look, as long as this is maybe one of the things we also talked about throughout the season, I think so long as you're bringing everybody along on the, the product team broadly, the designers, the engineers, everybody on the ultimate goal of what the customer needs, it sort of allows a little bit of that. Um, I wouldn't quite call it misinterpretation, but like not everybody's going to envision the exact same thing. But if you're all trying to solve the same problem, if you all understand the pain point, I think that's better than most of the team doesn't know the actual pain point. Most of the team doesn't know what the customer wants. Most of the team only knows like what's written in the functional spec and they're just trying to build that. And so, um, I thought one of the points Kai made was like, look, you know, connecting the insights in a relatable way, like letting people who are, you know, downstream from that original collection of that moment with a prospective customer to see a real user talk about what their needs are or what the problem is. I think that helps everybody stay aligned on the solve more than just the spec. And I think that sort of opens up the opportunity for creativity as well. So maybe that's that's one of the learnings that sort of ran through that set of conversations as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, that's a wrap on season six. Uh, Again, thank you to all of our listeners, all of our amazing guests. um, And uh, we really had uh, a great season. Yeah, it was a ton of fun. And I thought our guests were outstanding. And I really enjoyed the insight segments that we started layering into the the podcast. Um, I think it really made it fun to to hear what people, you know, experience and and what their their insights are to share with our audience. So, um, yeah, looking forward to to season seven and uh, until then uh, I hope you and your family you'll have a wonderful holiday season and I hope all of our listeners have a wonderful holiday season as well thank you for listening to this week's episode if you liked it please share it with a friend or coworker. if you think it could have been better let us know email us at podcast at user thanks <laughs>